Welcome to City in Focus on SSG TV. I'm Gloria Olivares. On this month's show, we go behind the scenes in City Hall during the historic same-sex marriage ceremony. We'll take a ride on the California line and learn how cable cars are still part of everyday transportation for residents. And we'll learn what transportation is like for the blind and visually impaired commuters of San Francisco. The issue of same-sex marriage was debated in California for many years. Gay couples could have a civil union and share some legal benefits, but many activists have viewed social equality as enjoying full marriage. After challenging state law in 2004, the city and county of San Francisco went through a lengthy court process that resulted in same-sex marriages becoming legal during the summer of 2008. Although Ruling was overturned the following November. The summer of legal marriages energized the atmosphere of City Hall and the staff of the county clerk's office. Thousands of requests for marriage licenses were received and the office responded with additional employees and a lot of help from the community. Dozens of volunteers were sworn in to help make the wedding ceremony even more special. Producer Scott Wiseman followed the hectic action for this report. The process has been amazing. The people have been so gracious and so supportive of what we're doing. The energy here is fantastic with so many couples getting married. It's just been an absolutely fantastic experience. So wonderful. By the power vested in me, I declare you spouses for life. Thank you. <laughs> to actually be able to get married and be a part of this time in history and time in our history is amazing. This is a momentous occasion for us to be able to actually have this opportunity to have it stick and have equal rights. We've been together for 14 years. Everyone has been so welcoming. It's been all set up and people have guided us from step to step. Um, it's been easy. There was live music. Um, people are so friendly and, and congratulatory. Excited. Yeah. So excited for us. It's yeah. really great. Yeah. And Salvador is Party A, heretofore known as Party A. You know, while on the outside, it looks pretty simple. You know, you come in, you made your appointment, you paid, you go here for your license, you go there to get married, and then you go there if you want to purchase a certified copy. But behind the scenes, I mean, there was just this monumental, just mountain of work, the details into everything that we had to do. And we quickly realized that we were not staffed up to issue the number of licenses that people are anticipating that we would need to issue. We definitely did not want people waiting in long lines. This is somebody's wedding. You want to be able to plan and invite your family and friends. You know, know what time you're going to be able to get your marriage license. Know what time you're going to have your ceremony. We 
got city volunteers. We got members of the public volunteering. We had our regular volunteers volunteering. And we had such an overwhelming response from, from city employees, from the members of the general public, that we had way more volunteers than we could ever have hoped for. We had to come up with a training program. I mean, there's different functions of this whole um, operation. You were either, you know, a check-in person, you were a greeter, you were uh, part of the license issuing unit, you were a deputy marriage commissioner, or you were on the recording side. And each one of those functions required a different set of skills, a different oath of office if they needed to be sworn in as a deputy county clerk to issue marriage licenses, or as a deputy county recorder if they were going to register the marriage licenses, or as a deputy marriage commissioner if they were going to be performing ceremonies. Donna, place the ring on Beatrice's left ring finger and repeat after The marriage commissioner training was only about half an hour. It was very simple. It was very well run, very smooth, um, and then we were all sworn in. They said that we would get our schedules Sunday night, and so 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, you know, I got it at 11 o'clock. This person who, who is orchestrating all the uh, shifts and the volunteers and who does what, uh, you know, said it from her office at Sunday night at 11 o'clock. <laughs> so they're just really helping each other, and it's a wonderful atmosphere in that way. And have you filled out an application? Not yet. Okay. So we want to do that, right? Yes, yes. so you can take this. It's right over there. Okay. For those volunteers, what a gift for them as well as us, that they would take up their time and contribute that time, but also that they would in turn receive so much more back because they're part of the narrative of someone else's love and expression of love in life. This isn't anything that we had budgeted for, so it was basically we asked our IT director to do the best you can, you know, beg, borrow, you know, steal if you have to, and get us what we need to do this. And he knew what the mission was, he knew what our goal was. And, you know, with our IT group and Kenton and our software vendor, they really came together and pulled it together for us in the North Light Court. So it made it possible for us uh, to be able to serve as many, you know, couples as we have been. So once you're ready, you and your husband-to-be or wife-to-be need to check in here and then check in with me again, okay? And are you also going to get married today? Or yes. Okay, so let's process you one by one. We're going get to get you to do your license here, exit, and re-enter here checking again at that desk, well, okay? Our, our wedding's not until 3, so... It can be at any time. Okay. City Hall's going to take care of you today, okay? okay as long well. as we get you in today, right? We're getting married at... 2.30. Don't worry about the timeline. But we have the light. We're greeting people right here at the doorway and either directing them to the services that they need on this side, which is licensing, or the services they need on this side, which is actually getting the ceremony performed. This is an opportunity to choose to be a part of history. Many times history happens to us, but in this case, you can choose to be a part of it. This is a very historic day, and so I'm very, very proud to be here. Since volunteering last Monday, I've performed 12 different marriage ceremonies. The least amount of time that any of the couples that I've married have been together is two years. 
So most of the couples have been together eight, nine, ten. I'd say about 70% have been together at least that long, if not longer. I think there's a lot of misconception out in the world about who gay and lesbian people are. And I think it's important that people see that we love our husbands and wives to be and we love our children and have the right to have families just like everyone else. The support that we have experienced from our own families, our own friends, and then the excitement of the volunteers when we get here has made us feel wonderful and accepted and celebrated. There was a lot of city agencies and city departments, divisions that are, um, offer up their, um, their employees to help us out. It's an overwhelming response. It's unbelievable how city government works. This is a, the time that San Francisco city employees have really outshined. San Francisco's clerk's office didn't need to hear from the mayor to say, okay, what's your plan, what's your thing, but then offered a plan and said, here's what our strategy is, here's what we think we can do. We can open up the North Light Court. We can add all these computers here and there. We can connect our databases. We can expand our capacity by X. We can open up early. We can stay open late. We can stay open on the weekends. It was unbelievable. And we can coordinate all of the training for our volunteers and then swear them in as deputy marriage commissioners. And we can get all through the processing and make sure everything's verified and signed and certified. Now, that's an example and a model for others. And this is what, what happens is when people prove that things can be done, it just raises the bar for what's possible for everybody else. It kind of went out according to plan. I mean, this is what we've planned for. And in some respects, people have kind of commented, oh, my God, you know, you... You, you're part of history, and how many couples did we marry? How many families did we start? How many dreams did we make come true? And that, you know, the whole part of being a part of history, I just feel like this was kind of like something that we are here and we're charged with this responsibility to carry out. At sgov.org front slash county clerk, you can find general information on getting married in San Francisco County and use the online reservation system to schedule a ceremony inside of City Hall. On the sidewalks around City Hall, you've probably heard a voice telling you to cross now, and you probably have pressed a button at a crosswalk, waited for the light to change, and, well, nothing really seemed to happen. Those mysterious experiences are connected. Talking signals and ripped yellow curbs are part of the city's efforts to increase pedestrian access for the disabled community. When you watch this award-winning report from producer Tom Stewart, you'll see San Francisco from a different point of view. Being a, a pedestrian in San Francisco is, is not easy for anybody. When we're on the sidewalk, we run into sandwich boards advertising the shops, chairs outside restaurants where people have pushed the tables and chairs out too far into the sidewalk. I had to be very careful not to go off the sidewalk because it's on a slope going down. It's very hard. It's always a challenge. Yeah. There always are obstacles uh, in, in the way, like elevators. The timing of the lights are, is not the best. And so sometimes you can only get halfway across the, the 
intersection. So you have to be very alert because there's uh, there's always something coming up that you need to know about. I've learned how to listen to traffic patterns to cross the street. But sometimes I, I notice that other pedestrians, well, they're crossing. On occasion, I've decided to go, I'm going to cross too, you know. And then I get to, like, the middle of the intersection, and I find out that the light has changed. We need to be able to work. We need to be able to uh, go from one place to another. We need public transportation that's accessible for the disabled community. You know, the world needs to be open to the disabled community. The Mayor's Office on Disability has the task of addressing all of the disability access issues in the city. When we're talking about the public path of travel, sidewalks, curb ramps, crosswalks, uh, we have very specific issues that we have to deal with. For people who are blind and low vision, they have the issue of knowing where they are and when it's safe to cross. But where it's safe to cross when you're at a traffic light can be hit or miss. We're at the corner of Polk and Grove, and there's this you might notice the ticking sound. That sound is the audible pedestrian signal installed at this corner, which helps blind people cross the street safely. Now we have accessible pedestrian signals. The ticking sound helps me to locate this button. When I push the button, I get an audible message letting me know that I need to wait before I cross Polk at Grove Street. And when it's safe to cross, not only am I going to get an audible indicator, but it's also going to, this button here is going to vibrate. Walk sign is on to cross pole. So it tells me it's safe. There's the, the trigger sound, and this button is vibrating. I'm not relying on other foot traffic. I'm not relying on anything but the actual light change, the, the light cycle that's built into the, the stoplight. The community did a fabulous job of advocating for accessible pedestrian signals. They managed to get a commitment from the MTA, the Municipal Transportation Agency, to install up to 200 accessible pedestrian signals over the next few years, which brings San Francisco from one of the major cities in the U.S. with the fewest number of accessible pedestrian signals to what is probably going to be the lead city in the country. The city is working on all sorts of different things and we're trying to be new and uh, we're trying to be innovative and we are trying to uh, we're trying to push uh, push the envelope a little and go beyond what the ADA dictates we must do and put things in that are that, that simply make life more accessible for people. San Francisco has always led the charge when it comes to accessibility. That's a direct reflection of the community here, the, the disability rights movement. The city has the uh, overall legal obligation to manage and maintain the accessibility in the public right-of-way. With regard to the various features of the curb ramps, they're bounded by a grooved border, which is a 12-inch wide grooved section of concrete. That's an advance warning. There's a color contrast difference between the curb ramp and the adjacent sidewalk for people with low vision to also get that same information. There's also the shape of the domes that you can feel underfoot. There's a flush transition between the bottom of the ramp and the gutter. 
Okay, so here's a good example of a construction site where the path of travel has been maintained in an accessible way. We have a beveled transition on the change in level, slip-resistant tape on the metal surfaces here, temporary asphalt cutback. We have another change in level, temporary asphalt to fill in level changes, a flush transition to a temporary wood platform and a wood ramp down into the street where the path of travel is now in the street under a scaffolding. We've got low cane detectable rails along either side. The scaffolding elements are all detectable. There's nothing down below head height or protruding off the sides that people are going to get snagged up on. It's a smooth, clean corridor of accessibility all the way through here. And there's an outlet at the far end as well. Our number one issue in terms of the financial impact to the city is what we see here, which is the uplifting and, and shifting of concrete due to street tree roots. And uh, taken citywide, it's a big, big problem that we have to deal with. So here's another problem that we have with street trees is the issue of headroom and how much space it takes for someone to get through. If I was a person who was blind, this would be uh, an uncomfortable way to find out that there's a tree here. With San Francisco's weather, we want to take advantage of the outdoors, but uh, we don't want to create hazards and block pedestrian traffic on the sidewalks. Sometimes vendors put their tables out, um, sidewalk cafes where people have pushed their chairs too far out. Sometimes it can be impassable. There's so much foot traffic that there's not any room for a wheelchair or somebody even in a, in a walker to go by. San Francisco, like many great cities, is a great pedestrian city. It has a lively street life and many sidewalk cafes, cafe tables and chairs, which can be an issue for people with visual disabilities primarily. And so our system here in San Francisco through our DPW order for sidewalk tables and chairs is to have these sort of diverting barriers on either side of the tables and chairs area. So people with disabilities can detect this and find their way around it without getting tangled up. And the remaining amount of sidewalk is still fully accessible. Well, the first thing is we don't want anything special. Um, we want people to basically uh, adhere to the regulations and the laws as they are on the books now. People can also just be, be cognizant if they're placing signboards or merchandise on, on the streets that they need to have 48 inches of clearance so that we can pass, whether we're sight impaired or in a wheelchair. Um, and just basically just try to think outside your own little specter of, of yourself, that there are other people who you need to share the sidewalks with. We'll all get along a lot, lot better and, and easily if people would, would just think about other people as well. I can say that although San Francisco is such a hilly place for a wheelchair user, we do have uh, we seem to be better at most. That doesn't mean that we can't continue to uh, improve upon ourselves. The public has the right to a clear, obstacle-free path of travel. We can't be everywhere and every place to make sure that that's the case. We rely on complaints and reports of problems. It's easy to do that now by calling 311. They'll take your name, give you a complaint number, and you can follow up with it. And it goes into a database so we can track whether it's being fixed and how long it takes to fix it. It is very difficult uh, still um, to make the case that the disabled community isn't being represented. And in some ways we're not, and we still need, we have a long way to go. 
The city of San Francisco is using the most high-tech technology, the most innovative technology available for audible pedestrian signals. And these devices really allow people to remain out in their communities doing things like shopping. It's pretty great to be able to actually walk as a pedestrian in this city and to be able to cross streets safely. The mayor's office on disability works to provide physical and communication access for the disabled to government programs and services and also to help businesses plan the best way to provide access to all of their customers. SFGov.org MOD is where you can find quick guides to access and also where you can request help if you feel that you have been denied access to a program or a service. Older than Transamerica Pyramid, older than Rice-A-Roni, the California Street cable cars have been a symbol for San Francisco for 130 years. But they're not just a symbol, they're a service. The steady pull of the underground cable is still the most efficient engine for Muti to move passengers between the financial district and Knob Hill. Producer Greg Burke rode along with the gripman as he demonstrated how this classic green technology climbs California Street again and again, taking commuters halfway to the stars. Okay, I've been a cable car gripman for uh, 21 years. I'm a third generation. My grandfather worked at Presidio. He worked streetcars over Presidio for 34 years. And I had my dad, he worked at streetcars over in Green Division for 27. So I guess you could say it's in the blood. Come on in. Have a seat and hold on. I like it because I'm... I'm standing up, I'm outside, still have a roof over my head, and I see all kinds of people. Yeah, you catch up to people that you, uh, you know from the past, you know, went to school with, people that you worked with other jobs or did something military or something. It's kind of weird because it's a small world, you know. Like I said, what do people do when they come to San Francisco? They ride a cable car. California Line starts in the financial district. People are coming down from Knob Hill. What the cable car does is pick people up, takes them to work, takes them up the hill. There still is no other device that will conquer these hills in a transit mode better than a cable car. These famous hills in San Francisco, nobody wanted to live up here because you had to climb up here. With the invention of the cable car, these hills became accessible. Andrew Halliday came to California and his family owned the patents for steel rope. He watched several horses dragged to their death trying to pull an overloaded horse car up the hill. Cable cars were invented in San Francisco to solve the particular transportation problems of 19th century San Francisco with its unique vertically challenged terrain. We're still using cars that are a century old. You know, the old standby cable car for a city like this with hills 
is the most unique thing because it's still going. It was a good design back then and it's a good design now. A lot of the cars that come in here to be refurbished are at the point where if we don't do something now, it's going to be worse later. The cable cars are built the same as they were back in the, in the late 1800s and we use um, a little more modern machinery. We haven't changed the thing from how they're building them, it's just how we get there. It's a time-consuming job and we, we go more for, for the quality than the production. We all take a lot of pride in our work and, and it shows in the end product. California line, it's, 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 it's mostly locals. The commuters in the morning, yeah, I see a lot of the same people every morning, pretty much so. Well, we don't have as many tourists on the California line as you would do on the Mason and the Hyde. Tourists and stuff, they, they mostly want to go to Chinatown. So we're coming up to Grand Street, Chinatown. Since 1957, we are the only city in the world that still runs cable cars. These cars right here are part of the National Park System. In the early 1960s, they became the first rolling national monument in United States history. The entire way cities are put together and the way cities spread changed with the invention of the cable car. People know San Francisco, first thing they think about it, let's go ride a cable car. Unlike the Powell Street lines, the cable cars in California are included as part of your monthly Muni Pass. You can plan your trip on this rolling museum by using 511.org. To learn more about the history of the cable cars, visit cablecarmuseum.org. That's all for this episode of City in Focus. You can tell us what you'd like to see on future episodes by sending us an email. The address is sfgtv at sfgov.org. Thanks for watching.